you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 this morning, Hebrews chapter 9, specifically verses 11 through 14. Next week, we will introduce a theme that is going to follow us and guide us over the course of these months and uh, prayerfully beyond that in regard to gospel-centered conversations. After that Sunday, we will be in the book of Genesis to Advent. We're going to walk through the story of Abraham as a congregation. This morning, we fix our attention upon the Lord's table, allowing Hebrews chapter 9 to guide our thoughts and our remembrances as we celebrate the cup and as we celebrate the bread and what they represent and what they mean to us as believers. Uh, I want to publicly thank Dr. Bill Johnston for leading you uh, so faithfully last Sunday as he walked through the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 specifically, and as we were reminded of Christ's presence as he was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so he is with us in those fiery trials of life. Uh, Last week, I was preaching in Mont Eagle. I was the guest minister along with my family at Mont Eagle Sunday School Assembly, just right up the mountain there in Tennessee from Swanee. University of the South, and so I preached Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, had those responsibilities, and this is our third summer to be a part of this, and so we've got great memories because outside of preaching, we have the day to ourselves. So we have a lot of bike riding that we get to do as a family, hiking that we get to do as a family, jumping off waterfalls that we get to do as a family, and caving, and just a lot of fun experiences, and our boys have been able to sort of have some memories cumulatively over these last six years that um, their dad has been able to do that. Uh, We had the great surprise and gift of getting a new alternator for our van as we were driving home. So surprise there. So we, it, it could have been so, wor- so, so much worse than it actually was. We literally, I preached that Thursday night. We loaded everything up. 9.30, we're driving back, about two and a half hour drive. And as soon as we got on the interstate, the check, the battery charge light came on, like literally right then. I mean, and the alternator was out. I, I, I made it to the next exit, turned around. The next exit was at the bottom of the mountain. We were making our way back up the mountain, knowing that at 10 o'clock there was nobody we really could call. We just needed to see somebody first thing in the morning. And my six-year-old got a little bit nervous because dad got a little bit nervous as he's driving back up the mountain trying to get back to where we were staying. And uh, we have one lane, all of these big trucks are there. The, the van doesn't, I mean, you know, when that light comes on, you can sort of hear that this doesn't sound good. And so he, he, he said, as we're going back up, he said, dad, are we going to die tonight? So I'm glad to be here with you right here. It's the grace of God. It was very close. No. So we're thankful to be here. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we are. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I learned this song maybe when I was 12 or 13. Wonderful hymn of the faith is a part of a litany of hymns that themes are so uh, peculiar to the non-believer's ear. 
we as Christians in, uh, not opposition, but in contrast to Buddhists or to uh, Hindus or to uh, uh, someone of the Islamic faith, we, we will sing with gusto in a part of the hymnology of our faith or our songs with titles like this, there's power in the blood. There's a fountain filled with blood. Are you washed in the blood? What a unique vocabulary for our Christian faith. What other tradition would sing without any hesitation, without any disclaimers about something that that could make us, without careful reflection, a little theologically squeamish? You know, there's some on the left and there's some on the right, theologically, not politically, that we speak of, that they get a little bit nervous in the 21st century about singing a song like we just sung just a moment ago, talking about the blood of Christ in Christ alone. Using that reference, and he used that reference with such explicit nature to sing that song. Some would say we need to move away from those kinds of references so we can reach a person that's far from God lest they be confused about us singing about the blood of Jesus. Some, some would say that we need to, to move past the vestiges of our old sawdust trail heritage, and we need to move into uh, theological sophistication. We need to evolve from those primitive roots of singing of the blood of Christ, and we must have much more positive, bloodless faith. What can wash Away our sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The first round of Daniel and I living in Birmingham was 2001 to 2004. We lived in Galleria Woods, apartment complex across from the Galleria in Hoover. I was a student at Beeson. I remember very vividly in our one-bedroom apartment, someone one evening, maybe a Sunday afternoon, comes knocking on our door, door door-to-door, visitation in that apartment complex. Daniel opened the door. I was on the couch. And the first words out of the person's mouth were these words. Ma'am, we've come this evening to ask if you're washed in the blood of the lamb. Boy, that's getting to the heart of it. Now, that's, that's getting to the very, the very essence of it. When, when I was 22 years old, I, I was a seminarian, and I was no more confident in what you should do or what you shouldn't do than at that moment in my life. To be 22, be 23, I had, I had all the answers. And I was just sort of put off by that. I, I thought to myself, well, what, what would someone think who didn't grow up in the church. I mean, you you really have to have a Christian vocabulary to be able to even answer or to even understand that kind of question. But you know, the the longer I've reflected upon that, that there's a part of me that is just thankful for the boldness of that person. One, the boldness of sharing her faith, and then also the clarity of what is the hope that we have as Christians that what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, to share our faith, we don't have to always come with that question. There there are many paths to sharing our faith, and many of us, or maybe even the majority of us, won't lead with that question. But we always have to get to that question question, ma'am, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The writer of Hebrews 
in the ninth chapter talks about the hope that we have in the blood of Jesus Christ. In the 11th verse of the ninth chapter, we pick up an argument that gives us the hope that we celebrate in the cup that is before us and the bread that is before us. Verse 11 of chapter 9, we read, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here we have the anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews giving us a comparative contrast between the Old Testament sacrificial system and the New Testament accomplished work of Jesus Christ. What we have is this partial and incomplete foreshadowing in the Old Testament of the complete, perfect, high priestly work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. There is, in the writer of Hebrews' mind, a way for us to look back and to see this temporary way that sins were forgiven in this Old Testament purification system and how it has been filled full. It has been fully completed in the work of Jesus Christ. There's two questions that we need to ask of this text and to answer in our hearts. What cannot wash away our sins? What cannot wash away our sins? Well, notice in verses 11 and verse 12 of this passage here, verse 11 and verse 12, we have this statement that Christ enters not by goats and calves. It's an allusion to the Old Testament, to the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. Once a year in that Israelite sacrificial system, there would be a high priest that would stand before God. He would enter into the Holy of Holies to make atonement with a blood sacrifice. One week before doing this, this high priest would go into seclusion. He would isolate himself lest he be impure. For an entire week, he would fast. He would pray to purify himself. Night before, he would stay up all night. There would be people that would be praying for him, interceding for him. He would wash himself symbolically. He would wash himself to symbolically wash away sins. He would do this three times. He would dress himself to, in, in white linens in this beautiful, costly garment. And the problem the writer of Hebrews announces is that this is not a complete work that every year the high priest has to do this. It's not once and for all. Rather, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it until, well, what can make us whole again? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When Jesus stood... In the midst of the trial and the trumped-up charges, he stood before an actual human high priest. What irony upon ironies would this have been? He stands before the very one who was given the task to intercede for God's people. And so he, Jesus Christ, will be the ultimate high priest. He, too, Jesus, will pray all night. 
but not like the high priest in the Old Testament. His location of prayer will be a garden, a garden of Gethsemane. He would be set apart. He would be isolated, not by choosing, but by the disciples sleeping through the night. The other disciples leaving him in the midst of his deepest need. He's clothed not in a beautiful, costly garment, but rather he is going to be stripped. He is going to be stripped bare. He is not bathed symbolically three times. Rather, he is going to be covered with the dirt and the grime of the ground and the spit of of his accusers that will be upon him on the cross. He is taking our sins upon himself. He is bearing the penalty of your sins and my sins. He takes it upon himself. He takes our filth so that we may partake of his righteousness. He secures for us by faith when we trust in his finished work. He secures for us eternal redemption. How did he do that? Well, it's not through the blood of calves. It's not through the blood of goats, but rather the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself. He willingly paid the price for your sins and for my sins. He, as that old hymn says, he paid it all. He paid it all. Uh, he, He paid a debt that you can't pay and that I can't pay. He secured a ransom that we could not secure in our own works. He accomplished what we cannot accomplish. What will make us white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What will make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 14 that the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from our dead works to be able to enliven us and to serve the living God that the blood that is shed upon the cross is blood that covers all of your sins and my sins. Many of you know Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias is a Christian apologist, teacher of God's word. He, he has a book in which he tells a very gruesome illustration, a real-life example that illustrates one of the principles that we're looking at in this passage this morning, November the 26th of 2008, terrorist storm, the Taj Mahal Palace there in India. 200 people were massacred. There's a reporter that interviews one of the survivors, and he tells this horrific event of being a guest at the hotel, hearing gunshots, and one of his friends pulls him under a table and and hides him away. And as the interviewer asks him the the gripping story of what happened, he he talks about how the terrorists begin to make their way into this place where all of these people have been shot and they're looking for any survivors. And then the reporter asked him, well, well, how did you survive? And he said these words, "I, I suppose I survived because I was covered in someone else's blood and they took me for dead. And in his book, Christianity, or Has Christianity Failed You? Zacharias uses this story to to illustrate the sufficiency of Christ's death for your sins and for my sins. It it is a metaphor, it is an illustration of God's gift through Jesus Christ to each and every one of us by faith who would trust in his finished work because he has paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins. He's covered us in the blood of his sacrifice that we may have eternal life. He died an earthly death so that we may live an eternal life by faith. 
And some of you here this morning, you might know this in your head, but you think to yourself, well, the blood of Jesus surely could cover the sins of a Mother Teresa. The, the blood of Jesus could surely cover the sins of a Martin Luther King Jr. The, the blood of Jesus could surely cover the sins of, of a Billy Graham. But, but if you only knew what I have done, if you've only knew what I have thought, if you've only known where I have been, you would understand that there, there's got to be some limitations. There, there, got, there has to be some places where the blood of Jesus Christ will not flow. And I'm here to remind you that whatever you have thought, wherever you have been, whatever you have said, that the blood of Jesus Christ, it extends to that place. The worst place of your life, it extends to that place. The, the darkest and the dingiest places and recesses of your soul that no one else knows, it extends there. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, they know everything you've thought, they know everything you've done, they know every place you have been, and they love you anyway. That the blood of Jesus extends to that gossip conversation. The blood of Jesus Christ extends to that lie. The blood of Jesus Christ extends to that sexist thought or that racist thought or that ageist thought. The blood of Jesus Christ, it extends to our pride. It extends to our prejudice. The blood of Jesus Christ, it extends to every part of our sinful past and our sinful present and our sinful future. That the blood of Jesus Christ knows no limits. That if only you by faith would would trust in the finished and accomplished work of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus Christ would extend over all of your sins and will wash you white as snow. This is the hope that we have as believers. Is it your hope? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've trusted in the finished and accomplished work of Jesus? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've admitted that you need a Savior? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've understood that you are alienated from a holy God because of your sinful choices? Have you ever believed in the finished work of the gospel? And have you committed your life to him by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And the truth of the Apostle Paul says, you will be saved. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've gone from hearing about this story and intellectually understanding Understanding this story to by faith accepting the truth of this story. And if the answer is yes, this table, my friends, is for you.